Isaiah chapter 9 passage, which leads into, yes, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> Isaiah chapter 9 passage, which speaks about the fact that Jesus is coming, this Messiah is coming. But then not only that amazing reality, but also the reality of what happens in Luke 2, that the angels are proclaiming this happened. And first off, it's just, it is amazing to see all of you here. And everyone that's out in uh, the atrium too, this is, isn't it wonderful to worship alongside each other? It's good stuff, yeah. All right. So if you've got your Bibles, you could definitely turn on over to Isaiah chapter 9. If you've got a program, it has your notes in there, and so you can go ahead and take a look at that. That has the notes for today. Um, but to, this is the third week of Advent, or at least this is the third week we've been going through the Advent calendar. Um, and it's where we're talking about the third part of Advent, which is joy. And joy is, is what I'm about to say, many of you know this. I think we all, I think if you're, at least if you're 10 years old and older, you've picked up on this fact. But honestly, every single person in here, and especially now, we totally fail this. We, we fail to get this right. What I'm about to say is something you know for a fact, but you don't believe it. You don't believe what I'm about to say, at least not intrinsically, not, it doesn't flesh itself out into your everyday life. Even though you could believe it's true, it's something that honestly, especially at Christmas time, we don't buy. And that's this. That joy does not equal happiness. Joy does not mean happiness. Um, that, that what we oftentimes think is that happiness is this thing that, 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 that God gives us, that, that we have in Christ, everything. And it's not, honestly. In fact, one great takeaway I want you to all have this Christmas time is this. Jesus didn't come to make you happy. Jesus never came to make you happy. That was not the point of why he came. I mean, you might be happy at different points in your faith. That's great. Or, or you, by obe being obedient to him, you might re you have happiness because you have that temporary realization of being obedient and seeing how life works. Awesome. But Jesus never came, not once, to bring you happiness. In fact, the angels did not say when they were talking to that group of, of shepherds, I bring you good news of great happiness. What did he bring? Good news of great what? joy. And the truth is, is that the difference between the two is that happiness is that temporary emotional response to something that's good in our circumstances, you know. And, and, and often, things that make us happy are good things, but there's a lot of times that happiness, things that make us happy, we regret. I mean, seriously, and this is the crazy, honest, we do this with food. And I've been in, in several Christmas parties already, and so have you, where people are like, oh, I should not eat this. But it's the holidays, and it's like, and so it's like, I, I'm gonna, I, I know I'm gonna regret this, but I don't care because my temporary happiness totally worth it. And it, and then we do that, we do that with, and we actually we we get into the mentality that that this is something that we want to bestow upon our children. We want them to have a good Christmas. We want them to be what happy, and so we give them what makes them happy. What makes them happy? Stuff. Stuff always makes you happy. Someone, if I gave you stuff, you'd be happy. When people come to our church for the first time, we say go out there to the guest hub. Why? We got stuff we want to give you for free. <gasps> for me? That makes me happy. I know. Does it last till they get to the parking lot? Probably not. Now, this is the thing. Happiness, not bad, just not permanent. And the thing that we need to understand is that Jesus never came to make you happy. Why? Because Jesus never came to bring you a temporary anything. Jesus never came to bring you a temporary anything. He is eternal. He came to bring you permanent things. Happiness just ain't permanent. Joy, however, is. And that's the funky thing about joy that those angels were proclaiming that, that actually that Isaiah was forecasting in the future. Joy is this resilient reality that we can actually, you cannot be totally happy 
and totally sad at the same time. You can't, unless, you, unless you're delusional. You cannot be totally happy and totally sad at the same time. However, you could be totally sad and yet totally joyful simultaneously. Joy is it's tapping into a storyline that is a bigger story than whatever circumstances we have right now. My circumstances might make me happy. The people I'm with, what's happening in life, my job, my family, my relational set, all these things can make me happy, but they're, they're, they, they're temporary. Joy is like this thing that goes over all of that and says, this could be here or not, and I could still have joy. This could be here or not. This could be taken away, and I, I don't have to like it. I don't like to have to like it all, but when it's taken away, I still have this overarching joy. If you go back to our first week of Advent, we talked about hope, and we, used a, a, we came up with a definition of hope, that hope is a future expectation, which is not now, it's future, it's not, something that, it's not a current circumstance, it's something that I've got a future expectation about. So I'm not tasting it, I'm not touching it right now, it's, it's, it's future. It's a future expectation that invades my current desperation. So right now, things could totally stink, things could be super garbagey, things could be very painful, but I have hope that's in a future reality, and that's what Advent is. Jesus came. God, God was good for his word. Jesus came the first time, and he promised to come back again. We could take him at his word. That gives us hope. Hope is a future expectation that invades my current desperation. And Paul, in Scripture, links the two together, joy and hope. Look, look what he says in Romans. He says, be joyful in what? Okay, so that future expectation, it's not just like, okay, it's a psychological academic reality it, that, that I can bank on. It's a future expectation that actually changes my psychology. Again, I'm not happy about my, my bad circumstances, but I could be joy-filled in the midst of them. He says, be joyful in hope, be patient in affliction, be faithful in prayer. And so if you've got your notes, and again, they're in your, your program, I put this um, in there. Joy is the ability to celebrate that hope through good times and bad. It's not as, as, uh, as it doesn't have the expiration date that happiness does. It doesn't have the flimsiness that happiness does. And again, I'm, I'm all about happiness. I love happiness. You're never going to see me saying, man, I just wish today was more sad, you know? I don't. I love happiness. But I just know it's temp. Whenever I experience it, I know it's a ticking. Just watch the clock because it's going to be going pretty soon. But what won't is joy. And so what we're going to be talking about this, this, through this whole series is to treat life in Christ like Christmas. Treat life that, that he's afforded for you like Christmas. And this is how you do that. At Christmas time, do you receive gifts? I hope so. I mean, come on. <laughs> yes. Do you receive gifts? Now, do you give gifts? Yes, okay, so there's, the, there's the, a receiving and there's a giving. And so this year, what we, and specifically with this particular subject, with joy, joy is yours in Jesus' name. Very much like Pastor Eric talked about two weeks back, that peace is yours. It's like it's already, it's already afforded to you by Christ. It's your choice whether or not you unpack that. Joy is yours right now. Joy. No matter what you're going through, you have, you have the capacity to receive joy, to be a joy receiver in Jesus' name. But again, we're not just talking about receiving gifts, right? We give them too. That's the second part. Joy is yours to bring in Jesus' name. The two action steps that I want to challenge you towards this, and th for this particular week and this particular passage is to be a joy receiver and a joy bringer. 
be a joy receiver and a joy bringer, that you are both a receiver of the gift of joy from Jesus and a bringer of the gift of joy from Jesus to those around you. We're going to talk specifically about three different areas in your anxiety to be a joy receiver and a joy bringer, in your tragedy to be a joy receiver and a joy bringer, and in your family gatherings at Christmas to be a joy receiver and a joy bringer. Now, truth be told, oftentimes your family gatherings is what brings you the anxiety and the tragedy that we're talking about. We're going to deal with them each individually and separate. First off, receive joy into your anxiety. I, I, I could, there's lots of reasons for this, but you, many of us in, the, in this room, we struggle with depression and we struggle with anxiety, uh, panic attacks and everything else. And, and for, for people that, that don't, typically, it's weird that this time of year, major trigger. Nothing has to happen, and all of a sudden you have a heightened state of, of depressive characteristics or anxiety. Now, those who currently and throughout the year struggle with depression and anxiety, this year is, is increasingly heavy, increasingly difficult. I mean, it, it's, it's just awful. And so, like, it's one of those things where, where as a Christian, we have the reality of, I don't feel happy, and I, I, but I don't know what to do with it. And the truth is, you can actually receive joy in joy into your anxiety. Let's look back to what Isaiah said was good news about the future. He said this, you have enlarged, this is talking to God, you have enlarged the nation and increased their what? Their joy. They rejoice before you as a people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Two kind of bizarre ways to describe it, but that's how he's saying, that's how it feels. He says, the reason that you can have joy, no matter what's going on, is this. I mean, you can actually feel like someone who's a farmer, who's put in blood, sweat, and tears, like all throughout the year. Like they start off in the spring, and they like get the soil ready, and then they take this little tiny little microscopic, little, they put it in the ground, and then they pray for rain, and they pray for the rice, they fertilize it, and all of a sudden, sure enough, the ground breaks forth, and up comes this green thing that they got to now all of a sudden defend it from any insects and, and other animals because they got to get this thing up because eventually it's going to produce some kind of a fruit and some kind of a, something that's going to come from it that they can then in the fall, harvest. And when they harvest it, they go, oh, man, blood, sweat, tears, all that hard work, boom. It was all worth it. I don't know if you know any farmers. Um, we had a, a, a guy named Dave Bolts. He's a super awesome guy. Some of you guys know Dave. But Dave was someone, when he was in our college Bible study, like we would see him every single week until harvest time. And then he was like off the grid. We thought he, like he left the country, like he had done something terrible. It was weird. And we didn't see him until like late November. And it's because of the harvest time. But when you saw him in late November, early December, it was just like, all oh, that work. It feels so good. Look, look what we were able to bring into the family. Or like a warrior. This is one that might be harder for us to relate to. But back in the day, ancient uh, rules of warfare was this. You got this other city that's been threatening your city. They're going to kill you. And so you fight back. And as you're fighting them back, all of a sudden they scatter. They're all dead. And, and they, they flee. And all of a sudden you go into their city and you go into their homes. And you're like, oh man, no one's living here anymore. This property is mine. Why? Because I, we won the battle. We put our life on the line. We were like, I thought it was going to die so many times. Swords are flying everywhere, arrows flying everywhere. Did I die? Uh-uh. Am I missing an arm? Yes. But all of a sudden now I'm in here and the Xbox is mine. The flat screen is mine and I get to bring this home to my family. And I get to say, listen, it was awful. It was horrible. I, I've got things I can't get out of my brain. But after all of the blood, sweat, and tears, and sacrifice, look what I'm bringing. I'm bringing you freedom, but I'm also bringing all these gifts. Plunder. Again, bizarre. But for the ancient world, the, the, the Isaiah is saying, that's what it's like. That's the joy we have. To which most of us might be going, 
Great. So I, the way I get joy is blood, sweat, tears, sacrifice. It just gives me more anxiety. Because one of the key things that brings me anxiety is reminding myself of ways that I have not stepped up to the plate, not sacrificed for my family, for my friends, for my God. I have anxiety because I've got all the failures of myself. And I'm to tap it all off. I've got anxiety from all the failures of the people around me, all the failures of the people that, that, that work with me, and all the failures of my country. All of this brings me anxiety. So you're telling me, uh, this isn't good news, that it's kind of like all the hard work you have for harvest, all the hard work you have for the plunder after a war or after a battle. But that's when we remember what Isaiah is saying. He's saying, yes, each one of these takes sacrifice, blood, sweat, and tears. But the good news is, it ain't yours. It's not your blood, it's not your sweat, it's not your tears, and it's not your sacrifice. When referring to this whole thing, he starts it off by talking to God. And he says this, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you. It is because of God's sacrifice, blood, sweat, and tears for us that we all of a sudden have the ability to have joy. This is harvest. This is plunder that's been brought and afforded to us by somebody else. So there's nothing that you can do to earn it. There's nothing that you could do to warrant it. No matter how garbage or terrible your, your year is, especially if you are the one at fault, you've got good news of great joy because something has been brought to you. An ability to have a tra- a, 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 an experience that transcends the garbage in life because of what Jesus did for you. That was why it was good news. The, the psalmist, he talks about the same thing. He says this. He says, when anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. He doesn't say, you know what? My relationship with God means I, I never struggle with anxiety. I don't ever have depression. He doesn't say that. He doesn't even say that in this verse. He says, when anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy, which is a bigger story, a bigger story than, than whatever was bringing me anxiety. Does it take it away completely? It doesn't. Is it a game changer? Absolutely. Does it bring me happiness? Sometimes. But I can tell you one thing, it for sure brings you joy. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy and so many of us as we're going through life we like we struggle with our insecurities we struggle with our anxieties and we're just desperately trying to find something to give us like like a buoy like a lifesaver to to keep us up to to keep us to just get through the day and some of us it's just like well maybe next year is going to be good or maybe uh, the relationship will work out or or maybe my friends will be good or maybe my grades will be sufficient to get it or whatever we have all these like or maybe i'll drink enough or or maybe whatever we have as these things that are going to keep me just to help my insecurities of all the anxiety that i'm going through but there's something so much more powerful and that's the joy of the lord which of course brings us to linus in the blanket now this is the thing i am I am the last person in America to have figured this out. I think all of you figured this out. I'm the last person who figured this out, and I, I saw it on Facebook. God invented Facebook, and then I was able to figure it out. I saw it on Facebook, and I, I honestly, the people that I thought I would be informing about this knew it already. And I could tell you that I'm the last person to figure this out because of the fact that um, Eric Swanson, our campus pastor to Morris, he is like social network ignorant. He had no clue. And I told him about this. And he's like, oh, yeah, I knew that. I'm like, oh, I am the last person. But Linus in the blanket. Linus, I mean, if you're familiar with, with Peanuts cartoons, I love Schultz. He was great. Um, but he drew every character the exact same. Every character was Charlie Brown's head. 
It's like, okay, but we're going to have to distinguish them so you actually know the differences. So here's an African-American Charlie Brown. Here's a Charlie Brown that's filthy. Here's a Charlie Brown that's a girl. I mean, it's just like bam, bam, bam. That's basically how they all look. And then there's Linus. And Linus, what was Linus's distinguishing characteristic? His blanket. And what else? He would always suck his thumb. So this guy, who, who's honestly the guru of the, of the whole thing, of every comic strip, he's the one who's the wise sage to Charlie Brown. When all of his friends are just idiots, Charlie Brown has one good friend, and that one good friend is Linus, who's actually able to give him some perspective. Awesome kid, but super insecure. He's always sucking his thumb. He's always bringing along his security blanket, literally his security blanket everywhere. You never see a cell of the cartoon or a part of one of the Thanksgiving or Christmas episodes without Linus holding on to his blanket, except for one. And this is where I was blown away by God's gift to us, Facebook. Some pastor or someone blogged about this, and then all of a sudden it got spread around. It was probably like 15 years ago, but I'm just like picking up on it now. But there's one scene where Linus drops the blanket. He lets go of the security blanket. Are you familiar with it? You've seen it? See, I'm telling you, I'm the last one. If you feel like, uh, I'm going to shake my head like I know what he's talking about, but I don't, this is for you. Watch. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. I love it. It's like Schultz paints this picture of the kid who can't get over his insecurities, not for a second, all of a sudden does. And Linus drops the blanket as he's tapping into Luke chapter 2 of what those angels were telling that group of shepherds watching over their flock by night. So cool. But then he picks it back up because that's what we do. Are you a joy receiver into your anxiety? Are you able to recognize that because of what Jesus did, you can drop the blanket? Here's the cool thing. Um, I, was, I, I told this last night, and then someone up a, after the Saturday service came up to me and said, um, about the whole, like, Charlie Brown and Peanuts thing, you're wrong. It wasn't just one time that he dropped the blanket. And I had to believe him, because they were actually, literally had Snoopy t-shirt on and Snoopy shoes on, and... <laughs> There's help for people like this. But they, so I had to trust them. And they said, go back and watch that particular seasonal video. And I did. And I, and I checked out a couple of the, the, the still frames from the end. There's one other scene in that particular episode where Linus drops the blanket. 
And it wasn't just when he was taking in what Jesus had done for him through the Luke 2, 2, 2 passage. It was when he comes to that tree that got abandoned by Charlie Brown and everyone else because the, the tree was just sad. This pathetic, scraggly Christmas tree that nobody appreciated or liked. All of a sudden, Linus gets down around and he takes his blanket and he wraps it around the base of it. And that triggers all the haters to come out and to start to decorate the tree. And in the last shot, all of a sudden you see not a scraggly tree, but an incredibly full tree. The, all that care and concern brought it fullness. And the melody line as he's doing the rapping is, oh, Christmas tree. But what he does next is so cool. He starts to sing. And he turns that situation into a worshipful moment. And what does he sing? Hark the herald angels sing. Talking about the proclamation of good news of great joy. That wasn't just for him. It's for him to give to others. Don't just be someone who's a receiver of joy into your anxiety. Be a bringer of joy into their anxiety. And this is what it looks like. I put this in your notes. A joy bringer is sensitive to heartache you cannot understand or relate to. And it's response, and, it, and, and yet it responds like someone else's anxiety is mine. Their depression as if it's yours. Their sadness as, as if it's yours. This is why Jesus said, weep with those who weep. He didn't say weep with people you can relate to their issues or their problems. Weep with the people or, and mourn with the people that, that you get why they're sad. He's talking about you walked into this situation not crying, not torn up, not messed up by it. But all of a sudden you come across someone who is messed up and you have empathy to say, look, God met me. He could not relate to my sin. He became sin for me on the cross. And so what I could do with this person that I don't get why they're torn up, why that they can't get their act together mentally or, or, or situational or whatever, I can have empathy and sit with them and be with them. because, And I can be a joy bringer to them because of what Jesus has done for me. Be a joy bringer and a joy receiver into anxiety, but also into tragedy. Because again, the cool thing about especially the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus coming is that they're currently in the darkest of dark times. They're in tragic moments. In fact, even, even like um, Isaiah talking about this Messiah coming, he wasn't the only one who did so. In the book of Micah, uh, Micah prophesies that out of um, the tower of the flock, Migdal Eder, out of, outside of Bethlehem, that, there were, that the hope for the world was going to come. And what some people believe is this, that Migdal Eder was actually a location just outside of Bethlehem. It was like a tower where shepherds would actually stand and, and or they would be up on the second story of this tower to watch over their sheep at night. Because especially with the lower light and especially in a hilly area like Bethlehem, you have to be able to see over all of that. And in those particular shepherd rings of, of shepherds, they weren't just shepherds watching over livestock. They actually were, they were within the priestly line within the temple. And what they would do is they would take care of sheep that were specific sheep, not just common sheep, not just sheep for anyone. They were for, for sheep that were actually going to be t giving birth to the baby lambs that would ultimately be the lambs used at the Passover, the lambs that would be sacrificed to showcase the fact that, that this innocent animal's blood was shed for me to make atonement for my sin. And, and these particular shepherds, what they would do is they would make sure that they would, they would watch all their sheep really carefully. And when a sheep was, was about to give birth, they would bring it into this like stable area, which was on the first floor of the tower. And when that baby was, was birthed, they would, didn't just let it just be there or whatever. They would actually take it. And because the sacrifice had to be spotless without bruise or break, they didn't want any other animals stepping on it. So they would take it out and they would wrap it tightly with cloths. And they would put it elevated off the floor of the stable in a manger, in a, in a feeding trough. 
And so when these angels in Luke 2 says this, you're going to find the Savior of the world, and this is going to be a sign to you. You're going to pick up on this. You of all people will understand why, that you'll see him wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. People who understood the sacrificial practice of lambs prepared for Passover would understand that this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Into the darkness, into the tragedy, the greatest tragedy. So now, if God takes care of the greatest tragedy in my life, that means that I've got a joy that actually can function even with things that are less than my sin problem that he took care of. And, and actually, that's something that, I, that is incredibly practical for my family this year. This year was crazy. It was like super, super crazy. We, we started, we had an amazing um, time. Julie goes to Haiti with, with Micah and Carson. And then we go on a family vacation at, at uh, spring break. We come back to the house. We're watching a cool movie. We're having a fire in the fireplace. Um, fire goes out. Everyone goes to bed. Um, and a little ember gets into the, the breaks out of the firebox and gets into the, the wall of the chimney and just sits there and just smolders. It doesn't catch. It just smolders. And five hours later, that. We get everyone out of the house and we come outside and we see this blazing fire. And the next day, um, as the assessor, or one, not the assessor, but the guy who boarded up the house, he told us, he said, listen, they're going to probably have to take off your entire roof. And there's going to be a lot of damage that you don't even see in your house. And you're probably going to be out of your house between eight months and, and a year. Which didn't seem real at the time. I was like, what? Come on. Just put some paint. <laughs> And they're like, uh-uh, it's going to be a long time. And I remember, like, at that moment, it was like one of those things where, like, whoa, we've got four kids. And Julie and I realized we've got a couple of minutes to figure out how we're going to respond to this tragedy. Because our kids will never forget how we respond to this tragedy. They're recording everything right now. And so we sat them down and we said, guys, God is good. God is so good. Each one of us got out of the house. All your siblings, mom and I, even Bear the dog, we all got out of the house. God is so good. But even if we didn't, even if we didn't make it, or not all of us would have made it, would God still be good? Yes. Would we be happy about that? No. Do we have a joy that's above that, in spite of that, in the face of that, that's stronger than that. Yes. That was, the, that was a, one of the moves as a parent. I look back and I'm so grateful that Julie and I made that. I wish that it would overwhelm all the times that we get in fights over stupid stuff that's not even on the level of a fire. Like, where are we going to eat? <laughs> we handled that one great, but not, you know, where we're going to have lunch. I mean, it's like, come on. So here's the thing, every single one of us has an opportunity in the tragedies or even the mundane tragedies of our life to make a choice. Do you choose joy? Do you let God come into the tragedy of your life? Like when it's bad, like when your grades don't add up, when you don't get the job or you get fired, justly or unjustly, when the family tragedy takes place, is God still good? Is God still good? Can you still choose joy even when you're not happy? See, this is what ha um, Habakkuk said. He was talking about how not when life is like somewhat not happy or, or pleasant that we can be joyful in God, but like when it's really messed up. Again, think about an agricultural society when he says this, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines. Again, he's saying, okay, what brings livelihood to you, it's gone. 
Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. He doesn't say happy. Because that's, if you say, you know what, 2019 was awful, relationally awful, vocationally awful, interpersonally awful, and I'm just so happy about it, you're delusional, you need help. However, if you're like, this year, every, Murphy's Law struck with a vengeance. Everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. Am I happy about it? I'm not. Do I have the joy of the Lord still? Yes. Even when all that happens, I can still rejoice in the Lord. That's fierce. That's so powerful. Are you choosing that? Are you choosing that version of joy? Let that into your tragedy. Now, Henry Nouwen put it this way. People who have come to know the joy of God do not deny the darkness, but they choose not to live in it. Joy never denies the sadness, but it transforms it to fertile soil for more joy. A lot of people think that if you're a faithful person, if you're a Christian, you're, you're just like, you're, there's a disconnect in your brain. And I get why. I mean, because we, we, if you've got hope and you've got joy in the midst of garbage, there's got to be something different about you than them. But here's the thing. It's not delusion. Delusion says bad, 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 happy. Christian says bad, 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 still joy. Still joy. And that's something that you can have. You can experience that and you can flesh that out. And the world will watch. Be a joy receiver in your tragedy, whatever it is. But also be a joy bringer in others' tragedy. One of the greatest, one of the, the coolest things after the fire for Julie and I was just seeing how this church community gathered around us, and not just this church community, but like the entire community, like people in our community we didn't know were super, like amazing. It was phenomenal. It blew me away. But the most humbling thing for me was watching as people who are going through much more pain than a house fire afforded us. People who, like, like in two and a half weeks or so, we'll be back at our house, and we're super, super pumped about that. People were helping us who, after we move back in our house, that insurance and everything else and, and, has taken care of, will still be hurting, will still be struggling from what took place in 2019 in their lives, and yet they were the people who were the joy bringers in our lives. Who in your world, who in your world needs that? Who can you be a joy bringer to that is struggling right now? Even if you're pain, in pain right now, who is someone in your world that you can actually step in and say, yeah, am I hurting? I am. But I've got a joy that transcends even my hurt, and so I can actually be a joy bringer into their tragedy. Do it. Don't delay. Do it. Be a joy receiver and a joy bringer in your anxiety, in your tragedy, and finally, in your family gatherings this year. Um, Peter fleshed this out. I, I love how Peter fleshed this out. Um, the, the idea of, what, of a response that we have to the hope we have in God. And, and if, you're, if you're someone who's like, like typically the person who puts your foot in your mouth, like you say stupid stuff, maybe even like at your family gatherings, people are like, oh boy, there he goes again. That's you. You're gonna, Peter's your guy. He's your, he's your boy. He's, he's someone who's consistently impulsive and saying stupid things, doing the wrong things at the wrong time. That's Peter. And, but, and yet, and, and it's so crazy because, you know, Jesus is like, you know, you're going to be the cornerstone of the church. And, and Peter's like, yeah. And everyone's like, really? This guy? But it's the, it, Peter. Peter says this amazing thing about the joy that we have. Listen to what he says. He says this. 
though you have not seen him, you love him. Yeah, this is Peter who saw Jesus. He hung out with Jesus. He could say, look, I know what it's like to listen to him literally right in front of me, audibly right in front of me. I know what it's like to eat with him. And I got to tell you, he died on the cross and he rose from the grave, and that's great, but I miss him. I miss him. But I'm writing you this, as a church, I'm writing you this. Even though you don't see him, I get it. Even though you don't see him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him. What's the result of that? And you're filled with an, what? Inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. When Jesus came, what those angels proclaimed that he was going to do was not just take care of your eternal security. and your, your Heaven is going to be yours down the road. That's awesome. But he says a byproduct of that is that you are walking with inexpressible and glorious joy. And so how can you be someone who can receive that into your family gatherings? Here's how. Before you show up at their house, before, like in your driveway, or before they show up at yours, and the doorbell rings, and it's like, you know, Christmas vacation doorbell, bah, 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 and you're like, oh, and the anxiety starts, your blood pressure starts to go up. Before that, make a decision. Make a decision that if you are a Christian, who has the joy of the Lord in you, I'm going to say this as delicate as I can. Remind your face <laughs> before you open the door, before they open the door, remind your face. Remind your face that you have, and if you're like, but I don't, I don't really like these people. I don't care. You have inexpressible and glorious joy. Remind your face of that. That doesn't mean you're happy. It means that you've got something that's over happiness. It's bigger than happiness. It's bigger than how much they frustrate you. And if you've tried to change your in-laws, it doesn't work. And guess what? They've tried to change you too. And look, <laughs> you can walk in and have inexpressible and glorious joy emanating from you. It's a game changer. It is a game changer. But not only just for you, psychologically just for you, but be a joy bringer as you're walking into their midst because of that inexpressible and glorious joy. You can actually be someone who's a joy bringer into their family gathering. And I'm going to say this as delicate as I can as well. Everyone in this room, if you're an adult, and if you're a teenager too, let's say if you're north of 14 years old, you have a reputation with your family and your extended family, and you probably earned it. They know how you respond. They know what you've done. They wrote it in their diary three years ago <laughs> or 30. You probably have earned and developed a reputation for looking a certain way, and everyone knows that you're ready to leave or you're ready to have them leave. I remember this when I was growing up with my dad. My, we would go to my mom's family's, and my dad was, con I could not ever figure out as a kid why my dad kept on looking at his watch. I'm like, you just looked at it like 30 seconds ago. Like, and now I understand what he was doing. He was just like, seriously, we have 45 minutes of Shaw time before I can bail and get out of here and like not have to think about what I'm saying, think about what they're saying, and have to react to all of it. If you are a Christian, you have a decision to make. Whatever reputation you have that is in the face of what Jesus wants to accomplish in you. All those expectations that they have for you, I want you to do something with them. Defy them. Defy their expectations. 
They expect you to sit on the couch and fold your arms and be quiet. They expect you to drink too much. They expect you to bring up political stuff that you know is going to be in their face. They expect all these things, and they deserve to expect them because you've earned that reputation. Defy those reputations, each and every one of them, and instead say, I want to be a joy bringer. And that causes me to do something. That does not say I'm just going to try to behave. It says as a joy bringer, that means that I'm actually loving one another and I'm even loving my enemies. And some of these people qualify. So what you do is this. You actually walk into the space and say, okay, him. What would bring him joy? I don't want to bring him joy. What would bring him joy? Her. What would bring her joy? What do I do or do not do that would actually be a joy bringer in Jesus' name to them? and do it. Folks, this is for all year round, but this is like the laboratory for it right now. You have happiness. It comes and goes, but I tell you what, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, what the angel said you have at your disposal to choose to open up and receive and choose to bring is joy, and nothing can rob you of joy. Just in conclusion, I put this at the bottom of your notes. It's in super, super small print but I'm going to read it to you. Sadness cannot destroy your joy. Despair cannot destroy your joy. Layoffs cannot destroy your joy. Family drama cannot destroy your joy. Holiday traffic cannot destroy your joy. Death cannot destroy your joy. Hallmark Channel expectations cannot destroy your joy. It's always the same ending anyway. Politics cannot destroy your joy. Ungrateful family members cannot destroy your joy. Judgmental family members cannot destroy your joy. Cousin Eddie cannot destroy your joy. Mr. Potter cannot destroy your joy. Scrooge cannot destroy your joy. Your Aunt Edna can't destroy your joy. 2019 can't destroy your joy. Fear of 2020 cannot destroy your joy. Your grades cannot destroy your joy. Your relational status cannot destroy your joy. Your level of attractiveness cannot destroy your joy. Taxes cannot destroy your joy. Illinois. <laughs> Illinois cannot destroy your joy. Winter cannot destroy your joy. He cannot destroy your joy. She cannot destroy your joy. They cannot destroy your joy. Betrayal cannot destroy your joy. Divorce cannot destroy your joy. Sin cannot destroy your joy. No. Not if your joy is resting in the inexpressible and glorious effect of Christ's incarnate work over you that Christmas reminds us of. Amen? Church, Mission Bible Church, you have a decision to make. You have a decision to make. Will you be a joy receiver? And will you also be a joy bringer? May we walk in the good news and glorious joy that those angels proclaim that Isaiah was exciting his readers about. Let's stand for prayer. Lord Jesus, I pray that you equip each one of us to do just that. Lord, I th I, we're, we're grateful for the fact that you've called us into this time. You put us in families, God. You put us in workspaces, and we didn't choose all these things. But God, we can choose how we respond in joy and as a joy bringer. Lord, I pray that we emulate the grace that you displayed and showcased for us when you first came with the hope that comes from people who know that you will return and will give you thanks for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. 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 See you Christmas Eve on Tuesday, folks.